Welcome to Young Americans. I am Brooke McBeth. We're a weekly DIY depth psychology podcast where we explore differential diagnoses of reality narratives and the creative ways we navigate the void. This is... Jillian Masland here today. Um, I'm going to do a quick little whip round and shout out our um, musician, Joel St. Julien. That's uh, at J-O-E-L-S-T-J-U-L-I-E-N on Instagram, who very kindly furnished us with some intro outro music. So if you get a chance to go check out what he's all about and what he does. And for our new art that very recently came into our lives, we've got at Susie May, S-U-Z-Y underscore M-A-E, who is also at Neon Alter, N-E-O-N-A-L-T-A-R, up on the Instagram. Um, both very talented people, if you get a chance. And so also, we, sorry to interrupt you, just made some yeah. really cute stickers that I saw on Instagram that say no psychic drama zone, and they are adorable. Aww. Yeah. Yes, so um, if you need to designate any zones, she's got you covered for that. And uh, we are very, very excited to welcome our first ever guest on the show today. And I'm going to let her um, introduce herself. So take it away. Well, I feel really honored to be the first guest. I feel like we should be drinking champagne right now. Or <laughs> I, I'm not getting matching tattoos, uh, but like long distance um, quarantine yeah. tattoos. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm Amanda McCarty. Uh, in terms of what I do in my daytime life, generally I'm a fashion professional. Uh, take that for what it's worth. In my spare time, I'm pretty obsessed with kawaii and uh, studying Japanese, Japanese culture. Um, and also I have a lot of cats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really painting much of a case for myself here. Those things are really coolness. compatible, though. <laughs> they are. They are definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've read a lot of Murakami, so like. <laughs> yeah, it all adds up, right? Yeah, uh, there's always a cat. I live in Philadelphia currently. Uh, I'm as as Jillian will attest. I'm a bit of a vagabond. I've moved all over the country and back again for my career. I live with my husband, uh, my teenage daughter, and our four cats. And then we have many outdoor animals as well. Raccoons, right? Raccoons, Aww. yeah, yeah, a lot. It's like breed, baby season, so it's Aww. virtually an adorable kawaii nursery in oh the backyard. God, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll say that I invited you, if um, memory serves me right, to sort of introduce us to kawaii and talk a little bit about maybe your own relationship with kawaii. Um, and I thought maybe we could then dig in a little bit more not none of us we should say are Japanese or really know a ton about Japan you probably know the most Amanda um but we just kind of riff around because I feel like there's a really interesting like there's some tie-ins with like the spirituality of Japan and the way that it manifests in Kauai but um yeah how did you get into it um well yes I am not Japanese and I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania where you don't get a lot of culture uh, I I was a cancer kid. So back in the late 70s and early 80s, cancer kids lived at the hospital. I mean, I would be there for months on end. And it sounds sad, but I actually remember it being really fun. Uh, it's probably my psyche playing tricks on me. But you know, for years, I was in and out of the hospital. Uh, and one thing that happens when you're in the hospital is you get a lot of presents. Not that I'm saying 
one should go in the hospital or that it cancels out being in the hospital, but you get a lot of trinkets. You're not, you're not like, I'm not like, do you want presents? Yeah. I'm not like, do you want some presents quick? Have I got a plan for you? <laughs> don't uh, always. It depends on the circumstance. I agree. Like well, yes. Yes. And when you're, I mean, you're a child, people are a, little, a bit more generous because it, yeah, it totally. sounds sad, right? So yeah. you get a lot of trinkets specifically from the gift shop. And at that yeah. point, uh, you know, cause you're not getting flowers for children. I mean, that's weird. Uh, so yeah. I would get a, I get a lot of cute little stationery and stickers and <gasps> wallets and whatnot. And they were always Hello Kitty. Oh, oh yes. So yeah. yeah. So, uh, I can't explain it, but these things were so magical to me and made me so happy, which is, you know, the point oh, of I them. And they, I, I, I just feel like they helped me motivate myself to get through it all and stay positive, uh, which sounds so cheesy and Pollyanna, but you grasp at whatever you can in that situation. And I also, at a certain point, became a really skilled negotiator in which, specifically with my grandma, I could trade certain procedures for certain rewards. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, then I could be like, okay, well, this time I'm going to need a, like a Smurfette plush and some new stationery. Um, so, you know, you had a lot of agency over your collection. <laughs> I, I did, I did. And uh, I really treasured these things. You know, I, I didn't grow up like even middle class, definitely lower class. There was not a lot of luxury in my life, but these mm -hmm. tiny things were just such treasures to me. And it, beca it began this connection, this like light that was out there. And so anywhere I've traveled and I would encounter things like this, I'd be so excited. Oh. It made me feel comfortable in situations in which I was very uncomfortable. Even, you know, I think about when I went to college, I was surrounded by rich kids. I was definitely not one of them. And I had all kinds of like Hello Kitty folders and pens and whatnot and laying them out on my desk in lecture would make me feel like I was okay. Like I, I could fit in there and, and succeed. So I'm curious um, when you describe this, cause you were, you said you were pretty young, right? You're kind of like four or five years old when this, um, kind of flip got switched for you um, yeah. in the Kauai. And would you say, cause like you're describing it a lot about the kind of the acquisition and the actual physical, like the physicality of the objects and mm -hmm. having them near you and that sort of almost like um, emotional support object. Yeah, lining and, those things know, up on the desk sounds like making an altar in the classroom. It's totally, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering is, was there kind of like an interior life dimension to it? Did you kind of feel like you like entered into a world of Hello Kitty a little bit? Did you associate or like identify with it in that way? I mean, to be honest, uh, Hello Kitty doesn't have a lot of character development. <laughs> no, well that's uh, why she's so appealing too. Yeah, 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 it's, it's true. Life. And yeah. And I think I could be like, you know what? I am this cute little cat girl. I live a happy, nice life. Uh, I'm three apples tall or whatever her situation is. Yeah. Uh, I think more than anything, these started became these like powerful talismans right. that would help me get through situations. And even often, I mean, this is so far now. I'm an adult, you know, I'm far away from these moments. And yet I still like to have a little bit of these Hello Kitty doodads around me at work or when I travel um, in, in just small ways. Because one thing that does has always troubled me about Hawaii is it's so consumption-based on the surface. It's about buying, buying, buying. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but there, there are other aspects of it as well. And I do think th there's something about these objects that make people feel good. Yeah, you're in relationship with these tiny deities that are so cute and comforting. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, 
and I looked up, um, I did an absolute like toe dip research into Kauai before um, this episode. And the actual, the meaning is from some kanji characters that just mean something that is able to be loved, right? Isn't that kind of yeah, the, like, yeah. the absolute uh, essence of Kauai is it's not, I mean, we associate it with like cuteness and a certain type of like very simplistic, adorable. Like, yeah, just visual cuteness, but like total ability to be loved and adored. Absolutely, the characters do mean possible love or like love is possible, which I, I love that, you know, I think yeah. that's, it, I, it, I would say it almost should be impossible to love because we're imprinted from birth to love these things that are, are cute. Yeah. You know, that's why people are big attached animals. to babies, the big eyes and the roundness and all of these aesthetic choices are embodied by kawaii in all of its mm -hmm. forms. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is a nerdy thing that I still sometimes do, but I play Pokemon Go. Uh, <laughs> my background is in entomology, and I found that when that game came out, my son was a lot younger, uh, so we were playing it together at first, but um, it really captured the feeling of field collection. But some of these characters are so super weird, and it's really interesting to see how it can uh, just grow like that over time. Some of these kawaii characters are kind of scary, super weird. Some are like super straight up adorable. And in their various incarnations, they can say all kinds of different things. Um, I read one article that Jillian sent me about, uh, oh no, now I can't remember the term for it. Is it the one about the mascots? Oh. Mascots, but the other one. The oh, the Yami, Yami Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Um, that's a whole, yeah, do you, yeah. Like, you're probably familiar with that too, Amanda, the, the sick kawaii or the yes. dark kawaii. And there's a yeah. few different like households to that. It's not just one thing. It is, it is complex. And I do think that these sort of subgenres of kawaii, if you will, create a sense of, of community. Definitely. Depending yeah. on what the subgenre is. So that one is emerging and that is like, that's the sick kawaii and it's great. Right. The iconography around it is a lot of like adorable nurses and syringes and pills, you know, pink yeah, and there's like black girl, pills. Very, very party monster. Yeah, there's that, <laughs> <laughs> there's that girl who's kind of like the very, very classical, like what anybody would immediately associate with the sort of quote unquote Japanese animated, like a Sailor Moon looking girl. And she's got like her razor blade and her bound up wrists. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's totally yeah. I'm, I'm basing on her name, but, um, but that other, the other article that I saw was one which um, is a really fascinating thing that I know you you're pretty pretty well versed in Amanda is the mascot culture and mm -hmm. the fact that like there's all and that kind of also overlaps with what you were saying Brooke about Pokemon because they do start kind of putting they're like these chimeras with all these different elements <laughs> to them but then they make them super cute but like they're a little bit menacing and some of them are kind of sometimes they're straight up yeah. horrifying mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say, well, let me, well, let me tell you some facts about the mascots. Please, okay. yeah. Okay, so um, they're, they're called Yurushan or Yurukyara, um, which just straight up means mascot. There's no mysterious excitement there uh, upon translation. And uh, it has its roots in the Gigaku dance of the seventh century. Uh, it was, that's an ancient dance drama where people would wear really elaborate masks. They were generally made of wood and they might have like real human hair as trim or feathers. Um, and they were, they were very animal influenced. There'd be a lot of like bird-like creatures, demons, I guess those aren't animals, but they kind of are, you know, lions. Um, and you later would see this idea uh, kind of transfer itself to Kabuki and, and there would be even more animals involved, like foxes, frogs, yeah. fish, an well, octopus. That's the, um, the kitsune, right? It's yes. like a, a pretty 
powerful yeah. class. Of, yeah, that toxicology. I don't know if they're really kami or if they're yokai or if there's something else, but the kutsuni. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. This is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, these uh, Yurucham, the, the mascots, are a really big deal. I mean, they, every year there's a Grand Prix where the most popular and best mascot is crowned. I, I believe it involves a, like a full country ride boat. Everybody's voting. It's very competitive. <laughs> there are some mascots that just can't stop winning. Uh, sometimes it's a little controversial. Um, well, that was and, my next question was whether um, the same mascots can come and be like a champion year after year, oh, or right. whether it's like a new Limited batch, terms. Like a, or if there's like best newcomer, or they're like different categories, <laughs> but, you know? And there's like Miss Congeniality. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, they definitely, from what I've read, the like the top 10 really get a lot more attention. And in general, like if you're there in your mascot co mascot costume and your official mascot capacity, maybe you'll put on a really good performance that will raise the profile of your mascot and therefore what it represents. But these mascots are, I mean, they're advertising. Uh, if, and I, sometimes I'm like, this is so strange. But then I think, you know, look at all the characters at Disneyland, right? It's like a similar thing, but you don't see characters from Disneyland outside of Disneyland very often. Yeah. Whereas these mascots are roaming around. They're going to events where they're the only character. <laughs> uh, I, we were at a shopping center in Osaka a few years ago, and there were several of them putting on a musical performance. And I mean, I, I can't even describe how excited I was. Uh, and there were elderly people there, children, parents, everybody was just enthralled. I almost cried because it was just such a visceral experience to see these costumed characters, so silly. Um, and you know, they were just, they were representing different regional foods. Like it, it's oh, always but a means to an end. So cute. <laughs> they are so cute. They were very, very cute. So uh, some of my favorites, because they're all random. Uh, there's yeah. one called Epi. And he is actually a micro the a microorganism called epistylus. Oh, which is I used that. yeah, it's used to, <laughs> okay. So it's used to purify dirty water at the sewage plant. Um, you don't want to so, argue, man. <laughs> so you might be surprised to hear that Epi lives and works at a sewage science museum. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, so like the sewage science museum has a mascot. Uh, That's so cute. <laughs> my other favorite. I, I didn't mean to um, cut you off there, but it's like they not only are they sort of a thing that's associated with perhaps a place or um, a product, but they kind of have like little personalities to them too, right? Where they're like, oh, their favorite thing to do is this, or well, like, like they... likes and preferences. That oh, I'm... absolutely. They'll yeah. have like personal mottos and favorite foods and, you know, a whole belief system. I mean, people leave like offerings in the form of these foods for these mascots? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, they're not, they're not quite there yet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, definitely, they, they might be, yeah. uh, it has been like kind of controversial. I mean, I, certain people who maybe just like don't have, know how to have a good time yeah. are, are of the feeling of like, this is getting out of control. Those Everyone's people are got a worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, we need to get serious about things, get rid of these mascots. I, I mean, there are Whatever. other things to fight against right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if yeah, mascots are your biggest problem, then yeah, totally. You need to take a look around. Um, but there's something interesting when you were describing 
uh, I didn't catch, I can't retain the name, but the original dance that sort of is like the origin of all these mascots is, um, I've been reading The Way of the Shaman and it sounds very shamanic to have a dance where like all these masks and these characters and these animals come out. <laughs> and even the way you were describing the, the Osaka <laughs> moment that you had, like there does seem to be like, there's something about like bringing energy to a point in like whatever form yeah. and then like creating like a social outlet for people. You're performing um, a ritual. It's, yeah, it's like unintentionally becomes a type of ritual maybe. I don't, I don't know enough firsthand, but. Well, I would also say that this idea of these cute characters in general that have a very complex backstory, it, it all has its roots in Shintoism. So mm -hmm. for one, the idea of kawaii being so widespread really goes back to this idea of sincerity, makoto, being a key uh, Shinto virtue. And doing your best with a pure heart is like a key Shinto ethic. And these traits go hand in hand with the idea of innocence and this lack of cynicism and irony. And that's what permeates the entire Japanese culture. Uh, I was reading a crazy news article from the 80s that talked about how when Japanese people began to start traveling the world outside Japan in the 80s when there was a great economic bubble, yeah. they often would find themselves victims of just the stupidest, like, you know, uh, scams basically people would take yeah. advantage of them because they assumed that everybody else was speaking straightforward mm -hmm. and wouldn't be being sarcastic or tricky yeah. or deceitful um and i think like that's that's what kawaii is um and in the shinto view of life humans are the children of the gods so there's this intrinsic sense of childhood your entire life yes um and that has changed over time you know depending on what the more uh governmental situation was in Japan, but in general, people still have that in their hearts, the sense of like innocence. Um, and I was, I was thinking to myself like, okay, well, I mean, these Yurochan are obviously a modern construct, but where could I look back into Japanese history and see that? And I started to think about all of the different kami, the gods mm -hmm. that exist. And I thought of one, he's like my personal favorite. His name is Tanuki, you might be familiar with him. Yeah. He's the raccoon dog. Well, he's also a total trickster. I mean, he is yeah. getting himself into some trouble. And this part's a little, you know, this is the un rated part of Tanuki, but he uses his testicles. Which are shape. gigantic. They're gigantic. <laughs> to, they have to be, they're very powerful. They're helping him shape shift his way. Uh, and there were two stories that uh, I, I just, I had, I had to tell them because I think they're so funny. Uh, so one story declares that a peasant freed a tanuki that was stuck in a trap. Mm -hmm. To reward the peasant, the tanuki transformed into a teapot using his testicles, of course. And then the peasant sold this teapot to a Buddhist monk for a pretty tidy bit of money. Mm -hmm. And then the, the monk takes the teapot inside, so to put it over the fire to heat the water. Tanuki can't handle the heat, and he switches back into his original form. <laughs> he runs back home to the peasant. They still have the money. They realize, hey, we've got a great scheme going on here. And so <laughs> they, <laughs> they spend the rest of their lives together pooling schemes, to, and they become very rich. You know, they're very successful and happy, and they live the best life ever. And it's unclear if every one of these scams involved turning into a teapot, but they were very successful. So, <laughs> so they're little grifters, basically. They're grifters, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like these adorable little grifters. Happy, successful grifters. Yeah. Like and, <laughs> uh, 
so the other thing, I mean, the Tanuki, unfortunately, is also really horny. Like, this is one of his primary well, motivations. I mean, it's, it's so an occupational hazard of having Yeah, this. he's really, when the emperor is driving man. <laughs> yeah. So another legend holds that he transformed himself into a, a very sexy samurai. Uh, so only so he could sneak into a brothel and have his way with all the women multiple times. <laughs> Uh, in the end, they found out, but they couldn't even be angry with him. They were just so delighted. I'm satisfied. Sure, this is a future amazing porno film that I can't wait to see. Um, but so the important thing here to say is that, like, yeah, he's up to some no good stuff, but he's never evil. Yeah. And his motivations are always pure at heart, even when they're incredibly amorous. Yeah. Um, and now you see Tanuki statues outside of a lot of houses and businesses. Uh, they ensure, the idea is that they will ensure that all guests who enter have a good time and that also businesses might accumulate a lot of wealth as, cause you know, he's known for that as well. That makes sense. But, but when you see the statues over time, they were already pretty kawaii. They had the big eyes. They became a little chubbier. The testicles shrunk down a little bit to be not quite so offensive. In fact, <laughs> you'll know when you're seeing a very old Tanuki statue because the balls will be a lot more focal. <laughs> 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 so I feel like this, he's the mascot of good times, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's like, I've never seen anyone dressed up as, as Tanuki and I don't know if that would be even okay. But uh, he's definitely sort of like the first Yuuchan in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and as, as a Kami, oh. oh, sorry, I didn't, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to know if Amanda has a statue of him. I do, I have two. I have okay. a pink one and a regular one, a regular old brown one. Uh, I was very lucky. I've been to Japan a lot. That's where all of my discretionary income goes. And a few years ago, my husband and I took a very long journey it was like four or five trains it took all day to a town in the mountains where all of the Tanuki statues are made. Oh, wow. So they're just everywhere in all sizes. Uh, we, we ate in a restaurant that was shaped like a Tanuki. Oh, my God. It was very, very cool. And it, <laughs> it, was, it was not for non-Japanese tourists. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, everybody spoke Japanese. Uh, I didn't see any white people at all. And, uh, you know, we had to make it work. It was so cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah, it was it was worth it was worth the, the long trip and to yeah. just see so many tanuki everywhere and the way the people lived there would like hide them in their gardens and whatnot and knowing the story it was yeah. just so cute. How's your Japanese now? If you don't mind the question. Uh, my reading is pretty strong. I study Japanese for at least an hour every day though, and I've been studying for like four years. Oh, I'm wow. so far away from getting there. In an optimal situation, I could have someone to speak to because yeah. that's. That's definitely where I'm falling short. Uh, but my reading comprehension is is pretty strong and it's definitely gotten us out of some pickles when we're traveling. I bet, yeah. So I can like read a menu and understand a map and uh, I can ask for directions and whatnot. But when I start having regular conversations, I'm like, uh. The other <laughs> thing that is complicated about Japanese, um, I had a tutor for a while and he described Japanese as a language of psychic vibes because Ooh. there are so many words uh, that without context, you have no idea what the person means because the same words are sort of used over and over again with different meanings, mm -hmm. uh, like my, phonetically. My dad briefly, when I was very, 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 very small, was involved in um, the automotive 
carpet business and he went to Japan a couple of times for that. And one thing that he had said about the language, which is like a dad anecdote, so it might be not quite as subtle or refined as your, <laughs> as, 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 as your sort of like what you gained in your time, much longer time studying the languages. He said that he felt it was a language where um, he never noticed a lot of like direct statements or like direct orders. It was more like everything was some kind of like a question or there's like a sort of a softness to the way that people indicate what it is that they're trying to achieve. But I don't know, that could be just, you know, sort of a takeaway from a couple oh. of his trips that he did. <laughs> I, I, I would definitely agree with him on that. It is, the, even the construction of the sentences yeah. just has a different tone. Totally. And there's a really high level of social responsibility I like accountability it. that does not exist here. It yeah. just, I, I think that's, you know, not to get too like current events, but that's why coronavirus has remained largely in check there because well, everybody accepts their part of the role in society and how their actions will affect others. There's also, there's like some sort of the anthropological schools of thought that say it's because it's, you know, like island nations have a different way of sort of seeing themselves as a community as opposed to like a, a nation like the United States, which I mean, not even getting into the, <laughs> the, not even getting into like the philosophy that spawned all the shit that's going on right now. But yeah, but the fact that when you're in an island, there's this sort of idea like we're a finite number of people, we have a finite amount of resources, and therefore we need to like find a way to make it work that's like copacetic or yeah. something. I don't know. I mean, this is all like drastic simplifications, but um, I was going to ask about your little raccoon buddy. Is there a special, like, do you offer anything to your um, little figurines that you have? Or like, because I know traditionally in Shinto, I don't know if they bring, like, um, I think you give like a five yen coin is something that people do when they go to see Kami. Um, and I know sometimes there's other spirits where you like will write a little piece of paper and kind of like ask them for almost like a prayer or like a, a question. I don't know if you participate with them in that way or... <laughs> Um, I primarily spend my time protecting our Tanuki from the cats. Oh. So. <laughs> Which is reverence of another kind. It is, it is, it is absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they both sit in really high profile like locations in our house where we can all appreciate them. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of Tanuki's scams is that he would go to a business and pay with a piece of paper that wasn't actually money and be tricky. And so sometimes, and you don't see this as often now, but in the past, you would see a tanuki surrounded by little pieces of paper. And the idea was there is that another tanuki would walk by and see that one of his people had already been there. And so he would move on and not come in and scam that business. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that is also like, ostensibly why people began putting these statues outside their business in the first place. Do you say like, oh, there's already one there, beat me to it. I'll yeah. keep going and go scam someone else. Hey, I turned you to Nuki. <laughs> that reminds me a little bit of the kind of the Western um, stories about when they talk about people who are like outsmarting the devil. There's always that kind of oh, yeah. trickster devil. Yeah. And like, um, I think it, like a, I think an old one is actually, that's where the, the upside down horseshoe comes from is like the blacksmith who like, the devil was like, oh yeah, I can turn into a horse. And then the blacksmith like shoes him and somehow the shoes like make it so he can't get back to hell. And like the devil's forever turning himself like into money to buy food or buy beer and stuff like that. And then getting <laughs> caught in pockets. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Everything's a struggle guys. Paper. You gotta hustle. Yeah. yeah for real. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
I thought maybe I could talk a little bit about the history of Kauai though, because Please. it is interesting and it is an important component to sort of the evolution of women in Japan. Let's talk about it. So it's, you know, Kauai is sort of like a feminist movement, yeah. believe it or not. It's also a it's also a great source of consumerism and capitalism. So like it's 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 a complicated it's a complicated situation, right? So a lot of people think that Kauai actually began in 1914. Uh, there was an illustrator who opened a shop in Tokyo which sold goods aimed at schoolgirls. And I mean, this is a pretty savvy move when you think about it. Like, oh wait, teenagers, like they're the source of the money. Yeah, because that didn't exist before then. Like, but it's also important to remember that, or remind everybody that uh, these were more upper middle class girls. So, you know, like your regular working class people are not having access to this adorable stationery and these other tchotchkes that he was making. So like woodblock prints and illustrated books, dolls. I mean, this, this sounds like a modern Sanrio store. Mm -hmm. uh, they, the prints themselves, they, they looked so different because they really merged like traditional Japanese motifs with this like sort of Western line and color style. And he specifically called these illustrations kawaii. So no one had heard that term before. Um, and so a lot of the qualities that we think of as kawaii when we picture kawaii things were embodied by his work. Like, you know, everything was rounded and all the creatures had large eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, and he had a pretty strong business going on, but then the great Kanto earthquake destroyed his business in 1926. So then Kauai went away. Like a few, a few artists here and there would sell these letter sets that were also for schoolgirls, um, And they had these Kauai influences, but it wasn't a huge leap forward otherwise. But what's interesting about these letter sets, because they're still really prevalent when you go into any sort of Sanrio or Kauai gift store, there's always tons of stationery. Um, you know, girls at that time, if they were a little bit more well-to-do, could go to school after elementary school. They would go to these all-girls schools and they were forbidden any contact with boys. So they would use these stationery, the special adorable stationery, to write love letters to one oh. another. They would write just tons of these letters every day. Maybe to someone who you thought looked really cute that day or someone you really admired or someone but you were hoping- within the girls themselves at the yes. school, like not yeah. at any place. It was within this closed system of, of girls in the school. Exactly, because yeah. the idea that these girls would interact with boys, I mean, that just wasn't happening. They would mm -hmm. not interact with- these feelings and needed to express them. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love that story. I hate that yeah. they were sort of caged up, but I, I, I love that that's what they were doing. My friends and I used to write each other long, long notes in high school. We'd just do this all day long. We'd hang out with yeah. each other in person and then write these long ass letters. <laughs> totally, and fold them yeah. in a super elaborate way. I mean, I don't think, unfortunately, kids do that anymore. It makes me sad because I do like the idea of all those notes and oh, saying God, things that paper you might not have. Yeah, 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 it's it's a lost art. Um, so women's roles sort of stayed pretty static for a while. Uh, they grew up really fast, basically. You know, your childhood ended very early when you were a, a girl in Japan. There was a huge cultural shift as as a whole after World War II. That not surprisingly, right? I mean for everyone <laughs> but <laughs> except for not really here in the united states i think it was like business as usual but like in japan i mean i i can't even imagine yeah you know, like the whole society was just like destroyed so yeah. you know previously as i mentioned like japanese women had to mature and become adults very quickly uh primarily and unsurprisingly 
because they were supposed to produce as many children as possible. Like, right, they had to the, rebuild the country and the whole responsibility was on them, I bet. Exactly, they needed yeah. to produce more soldiers and they needed to produce the workforce. And so uh, leading up to World War II, it was not uncommon for a Japanese family to have seven to 10 children. I mean, Which is it, wild when you think of Japan today, you always think of like, you gosh, know, people have yeah. relatively small families and, um, well, I mean, in a lot of more developed Square footage countries. is such an issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I do think like when you see a child in Tokyo, it, it takes you aback. Most of the time when you see a stroller, there's a dog in it. Like it's, yeah. it's yeah. very, it's very different now. So this cultural shift really impacted the way girls and women were living their lives. So during the war, they were able to go to work um, when the soldiers came back, they took their jobs over. I mean, that, that is just yeah. like how the United States was. Yeah. But yeah, everywhere, yeah. Suddenly, they could have hobbies and interests. They weren't as required as much to be breeding vessels, and they could even maybe continue to have a job. And as time progressed, when we get into more like the 70s and 80s, women waited longer to get married. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of a sudden, there were these industries that developed to give these women a way to spend their money. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty cynical, but like, that's true. And one of them was uh, shoujo manga, which I'm sure you've heard of, and it's oh, yeah. uh, romantic comics for girls. And they began in the late 50s and really blew up in the 60s and 70s. And they have that Hawaii aesthetic, once again, of like big eyes, round faces, feminine details, flowers. Just, they were four girls. And one great thing is that a lot of these great male manga artists did not want to draw these shoujo comics like what just ah, uh, what an affront right so yeah. well they thought all, it was like beneath them kind of yeah thing. exactly yeah. exactly and so this gave female artists who would have never had the opportunity to actually draw for a living it gave them careers that's amazing it's yeah it's, it's really yeah. really great so another really strange thing started happening in the 70s that i still can't wrap my brain around but i mean you know, youth culture drives what happens in this world so yeah. often. So schoolgirls all at once, I don't know how this happened, they began adopting this kawaii form of handwriting and they actually called it kawaii to one another. That was like cute rounded shapes and doodles. Uh, they were hearts and stars, what, what we might call an emoji now. And of course this was forbidden. I mean- Scandalous. <laughs> Scandalous, <laughs> yeah. Like Japanese society at this point was really rigid, and I would argue that it's still pretty rigid. But conformity was the only option, and so they and particularly in in like academia and within the school system, it's like very rigorous, and there's like lots of tests, and you're supposed to have a lot of free time to like doodle up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and these girls are yeah. are they they're facing a lot of disciplinary action both at school and at home. You know, but they 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 persevere with it. Uh, um, and the irony of this is that by the 80s, this began, became the way to sell products to young people. So you would see this type of writing and the ornamentation and the cuteness all over packaging, advertisements. You still see it. Uh, what you probably picture as Japanese characters is actually this version of it and not the classic writing at all. Right, the um, cartoon version. Totally, totally. And yeah. at the same time, like these girls started dressing sort of cuter and younger with pastels, prints, et cetera, because there's also, and there still is to a certain extent, a lot of rigidity around age and what's age appropriate in Japan, despite this like youthful core. Well, and gender roles too, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. like 
pink is a very controversial color in Japan. It is actually used a lot in subway stations and for decor, but like a man could never wear pink, you know? Okay. And it, the idea is that when you reach a certain age as a woman, you probably shouldn't wear pink either. Um, yeah. And so it's even now in Japan, culturally, like it's, it's a very uh, progressive to wear pink when you're a grown woman. You know, you're like making a statement. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you're talking about, oh, sorry, um, like the bubbly star heart letters and then how it kind of goes from being this like subversive, like subculture with these young, primarily girls. Um, it's a very similar kind of tale as old as time to anything that comes up through like being a little bit below the radar and then it ends up being, you know, taken up by whatever the industry is and then like sold back to <laughs> sort of the generation like five years now I mean you were I mean yes, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name and shame any of the places you've worked Amanda but you know what I do know I think I think that's why I'm I really just love this story because I mean this was like the beginning of using what kids are into to make lots of money you know mm, uh-huh. outside of the like commercial applications of it as in like Hello Kitty and all of the other characters and all the stuff that has their images on it is that culturally like full culturally kawaii has infiltrated a lot of the more like uh i don't know like civic use it has civic uses now it's like harder it's hard to explain but well, i guess town mascots uh that seems like well, a yeah. application of kawaii definitely but yeah. even the, the signs in the subway that tell you to hold your backpack and not talk loudly and don't eat are all adorable little characters. You're being more lettering. <laughs> yes, yes. And like the little construction barriers that tell you to, instead of using cones, or yeah. if it is a cone, it's gonna be some adorable cone that like looks like Mount Fuji and has a face, <laughs> yeah. But there are all these applications and, and a lot of the sort of like civics uh, signage that you see everywhere, just telling you to like be a decent person, it's always adorable. Uh, just the feeling of, the application of this like Hawaii aesthetic. I mean, it's just like permeating all of these different aspects of society there. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Jillian. No, no, please continue. Cause I oh, the messages are uh, kind of better delivered more gently when they're of that nature. Absolutely. Well, yeah, like I'm just imagining if, you know, your alternative is you got someone like in a paramilitary attire, you know, kind of like pointing something at you expect you know wanting you to do something versus like a big like glistening dewy eyed thing like looking up at you like how could I ever do something that might <laughs> you know in any way harm this thing, you know? yeah and, but that kind of gets back to what you were saying about just that like purity of heart and Absolutely. that if you're, like, if you're appealing to the purity of somebody's heart as opposed to like terrifying somebody into doing something then you're yeah. likely to get a better result potentially. Absolutely, yeah. It definitely goes full circle, this idea of being like the children of the kami and therefore wanting to please them by being a good person to other people mm-hmm. with this adorable sign. This also ties into <laughs> uh, the sense of, I think, parental obligation too, that culturally is more present, I think, in Japan than has been in my personal experience as a Californian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Then we get to the part of the story where it's like, oh, also people make a shit ton of money off of kawaii products. And there's a lot of stuff that is plastic and goes to landfills. Like there, there are problems with it as well. Um, I do love this part of it though, where it's this like feminist, 
like community of these wild girls doing yeah, what they want. Like and, visual yeah, it's kind of like a, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rebecca, I didn't catch that. Oh, it's just exciting when there is a thriving culture of creative visual expression, uh, especially in people who have been discouraged from expressing themselves on, in any kind of personal way. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it is, uh, I, what I like about it is that this continues to be a really huge component of what it's like to be female in Japan. And, and for some males as well, it's like spreading mm -hmm. a little bit more slowly to males. But it is, there is this sense of community where you could be a 35 year old woman walking down the street in a Hello Kitty t-shirt and see someone across the street with the same thing and be like, oh, we're, we're, we're in the same tribe, you know? Uh, which I'll, when I'm in, in Japan, the thing that I notice most is that most people dress to be as inconspicuous as possible. So these people stand out and find one another and create communities that way. Well, like yeah. the Lolitas and, and all Absolutely. Of the, the more yeah. like the, the more kind of immersive um, kind of costume element of Kauai definitely speaks to that. And so another thing that's kind of interesting about Kauai. Something else um, we were talking about the like being the children of the Kami and also the um, like reverence for ancestors and reverence for elders. I feel like, and this is super anecdotal, I've seen some stories told that are like stories of like my grandfather and it, like in Japanese storytelling where it's like my grandfather when he was a child. And it's sort of this, this idea that I don't know if we do quite as much where you're like being encouraged to look and see the like soft, small child component of- <laughs> The adults in your like life. Like adults in your life, yeah. Where then you're sort of like, I don't know, like, I, I just think it is a lot easier to open your heart to anything when it's shown to you in its, like, most vulnerable <laughs> form. Yeah, Which absolutely. may be a part of the kawaii appeal as well. I, th I when, like, Japan now is a country of elderly people. There are so few young people and even fewer children. Mm -hmm. And if you chose to not see these elderly people and relate and be compassionate, you would be cutting off a big portion of the population. Uh, so I, I do see a different sort of treatment and approach towards the, the elderly community. Uh, elders seem a lot more independent. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen strangers just jump in to help an old person with a lot of stuff oh. or you know, help them cross the street. and. I mean, we, we sort of joke about that as a thing that happens here, but it, it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I think there is this shared vulnerability. Conversely, Japanese society has changed so much in the last, well, I mean, in this time that I'm talking about since World War II, where each generation kind of prolonged their adolescence a lot longer, or, mm -hmm. or at least redefined what it means to be an adult. Um, so people aren't having children, they're really pursuing their interests like full throttle, you know, working really long hours. Everybody's holding up their end of the social responsibility and just working, 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 but using all of their free time and extra money to support their interests. And so that's why you see like otaku culture, the geek culture being so prevalent there with just like video games and anime and, you know, like costumes. And I mean, people, Halloween there is epic in proportion. I bet. So it's, it's, it's just, I, I like it because, I mean, I don't know how the two of you felt as you've gotten older, but I feel at my core, I'm, I'm the same person I was 
when I was five, getting all that Hello Kitty stuff. Like <laughs> I'm, I've learned lessons along the way and I certainly at times have different priorities, but at my core, the same ideas still make me happy or sad. Yeah. And I, I like going to Japan and seeing people just doing what makes them happy and not necessarily always what they're expected to do while still being socially responsible. I think we tend to think if you are young at heart, you're just like a party monster and yeah. you, know, you, you bring nothing to society and that just couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, you're not just some dilettante. It's hard to maintain a kind heart in this world and really terrible. You know, I always want to be really respectful when it comes to my obsession and education about Japan, the culture mm -hmm. and the language. And, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know, I'm not trying to exploit that or, and I've, it, I come from a place of respect and intellectual curiosity. So I will say that Japanese culture is not perfect, right? Like, it's still really hard to be a woman there. It's they hard are, to be a woman everywhere on earth. It is, it is. And I would say it's also hard to be a man there. The gender roles are just a little bit more rigid than they are here. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you have to be manly. You have to be demure and feminine. Uh, the formative aspects are really much more present, overt, I guess. Yeah, would that be fair to yeah. say? Yeah, there's an animated program on Netflix called Agritsuko, which is uh, based on a Sanrio character. Uh, it's very Japanese. It's dubbed in English, uh, so you don't have to have subtitles. And while it's a cartoon, it's not for kids. And it, uh, it really does a good job of painting the day-to-day -day rigors of a young person in Japan, even though this happens to be a like, I don't know if she's, a, if she's like a fennet fox or something. I don't know, it's oh. not that either. She's like a, yeah, she's, she's like a red, a, she's yeah. a red panda. Yeah, she's a red panda. Yeah, she has a friend who's a fennet fox. So That's they're all so animals yeah. and they work in this huge accounting firm. And I mean, it's just, you're like, wow sucks <laughs> <laughs> kafka-esque one might say yeah yeah you think it's gonna be this like light programming it's it's pretty pretty dark uh really speaks to the human condition mm -hmm. especially in japan right now so i, I recommend that Thank um you. i was wondering i don't know about the outline or whether the outline has been addressed fully um but i was also thinking i, I know you didn't get a chance to finish your um kind of cast list of the different mascots oh. <laughs> earlier and i was kind of i was i was hoping to to hear about some more of those if you'd like sure sure yeah. so i mean if i haven't said this before everything has a mascot now which is why some some detractors would say this is getting out of control <laughs> get rid of these mascots so every train you take has a mascot the subway has a mascot uh towns all the town mascots tend to be based on like special foods of that area. Like regional yeah. food is really important in Japan in a way that it is absolutely not here. Like we might speak of like Southern food, but that's about it. And here it's like very like, yeah, it's, uh, it's a huge part of like business and just culture there. Uh, you can get these really great bento boxes at the train station like depending on where you are, that are just the specialty foods of yeah. that city. They've had a lot so, longer to develop a specialty food too than they any do. American city. So that's exciting. And, <laughs> and they are, are, they are different. Like what we think of as Japanese food is not all there is, you know? Uh, so another one of my favorite mascots is actually for a company. Uh, all the companies and TV stations have them too. So like I said, everything. And his name is Kanshan. 
And he is an extremely adorable pink enema bottle. <laughs> uh, and he's the mascot of a pharmaceutical company. And he's my personal favorite. I feel that if I encountered him or her, I'm not really sure of transgender of uh, them, I would break down into tears. It would be, I mean, like, wow. An ecstatic moment. Yeah, experience. yeah. Uh, we would have to take you know so much, many photos. Do you know much about that character's um, kind of personality and peccadillo? Yeah. I mean, uh, Kanchan is really into like a healthy lifestyle. And uh, <laughs> I remember reading a little, a little profile about her where him, uh, where it was like, you know, it's really important to me to eat a healthy diet of vegetables and fruits. Oh. And find some regularity there. Uh -huh. And to also really listen to doctors and medical professionals. <laughs> like take their advice. Go Kanchan. Uh, <laughs> Kanchan is really cute and wearing a fanny pack in the picture. Yes, with with uh is His it company logo yes there you go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and actually uh the pharmaceutical company ha has said that actually what appears to be the uh cap of the enema bottle is really a hat but i would argue otherwise it's, it's definitely a cap <laughs> so it's a hat i swear uh, you slice it it's a cap of some sort right <laughs> yeah <laughs> true um and then i mean there are some like mega famous mascots. I don't know if you ever watched the John Oliver program, but he has been doing a series with Cheetan, uh, who I'm trying to remember the details. Cheetan might be a hamster that has like ramen noodles for hair. I, I think it's a puppy. It's a puppy with an, up an overturned ramen well, yeah, the, bowl yeah. on its yes. head with the little bits like, of ramen like dangling yeah. down sort of like right. almost, yeah, like the regional big. food once again. And then uh, my personal favorite of the like celebrity of the celebrity year <laughs> John is Funyasi, who I would best describe as like the Paris Hilton of mascots. Mm -hmm. Like there are a lot of Funyasi videos of like breaking things and jumping and you know getting into messes and falling off of things and uh, they're they're really entertaining. And Funyasi's primary quality is that she really likes to have a good time. Go Funyasi. So uh, I guess she's, you know, she's kind of a tanuki, <laughs> like a modern day tanuki. And I do know that I'm pretty sure Funyasi identifies as female, if I recall. <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, like I said, these, everything has a mascot. When I'm traveling, I, if I see one, I have to buy it. So I have a lot of stuffed animals, not a lot, but you know, any amount of stuffed animals is a lot for a 40 year old woman to have, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I uh, have some pretty cool ones. Uh, I have Funyasi, for example. I would pee my pants with, if delight, in delight if I ever saw a Kanchan mascot. I should, just, I should just write the pharmaceutical company and ask for one. But I do have these really cute, uh, the mascots for the Kyoto subway system. I don't know their names, but I saw a pair in a window where we were buying tickets, which led us to like a 35 minute odyssey of finding where we could purchase them. Uh, and they are little stuffed trains with faces. They're very adorable and, and chubby. And they actually are the kind where you like pull them back and then they roll oh, across the floor, so. That sounds so cute. <laughs> this is all reminding me of um, that episode on The Simpsons where the Mr. Sparkle face ah. comes Play. Yes, yes. I feel like that might have been like a, a gateway, at least in my own consciousness, into this entire kind of wormhole yeah. of mascots and kawaii and, and the fact that you can anthropomorphize 
anything. <laughs> you really can. You can. Yes. Even an enema bottle. Even an enema bottle. Because I think that Mr. Sparkle, if I recall correctly, I mean, it looked just like Homer Simpson, but it was like a um, <laughs> powder of some kind. But then when they when they showed the informational video, it turned out that it was like a light bulb company. <laughs> oh, like yes. A, a blowfish. Maybe. Like, there were like these three other elements that then all kind of like they, they like jigsaw puzzle in together and then they create the Homer Simpson face effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it really speaks to the uh, complexity of these characters. You know, going back to the idea of like Disney costume characters, those characters have a backstory because they are from movies and stories, right? Mm -hmm. But here in, in, in Japan, they're saying like, let's create a backstory for this this enema yeah. bottle. You know? I mean, it really <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a beautiful um, long form fan fiction LARP or that like you can have with Pareidolia <laughs> everywhere. Oh, it's all pareidolia, yeah. Um, I, this is kind of putting everyone at the, on the spot, but if you had a mascot, what do you think it would be? And we can riff and I can cut stuff out Oof. if it takes a while, but it seems kind of a fun thought experiment. Um, definitely if my character would have a cat that it carried everywhere and I think, you know, it would have a lot of hair, like hmm. the character, not the cat. Like, I think hmm. that my hair is how people identify me in a lot of ways. I don't know. I don't but know do you think else. you'd be like some kind of a humanoid or maybe like a creature? With maybe cat? I would be, maybe I would be a very long haired cat Ooh. that, hmm. uh, carried around a folder full of outlines <laughs> <laughs> and a calculator. Definitely I would have like a... A really adorable calculator. Oh, yeah, a cute calculator. You could really make that very cute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. number crunching cat. I'm imagining like almost it being a kind of, of like a, a yokai or something. Like the, the more like the kami are the spirits of the gods and then the yokai are like these different kinds of ghosts. Um, that the long hair would be some kind of like I don't know, like I could just see it being so long that it's almost like like growing all the time and like coming up under doors and kind of like tangling and things. Like I just imagine the hair being this, when you say the, the hair is like the big that feature probably that it's sort of- Depends on how sinister you want it all to get. I actually- yeah, I'm Or just like that you're always like catching candy in your hair and like dusting it off and it while see, you have problems. I can see it's like, maybe it's a character who encourages people to uh, file their taxes every year. And because <laughs> I feel like I'm always reminding people I'm not an accountant, but I'm always like, did you do your taxes? Uh, so I would be a character who would see you at your desk about to file your taxes, but instead, you know, looking at lists of things to buy on Amazon on BuzzFeed and my hair would come in under the door and tangle you up. And then I would pull you to me and with my adorable calculator, show you the refund you could be getting. <laughs> I love it. That's name yourself you now. You need to name yourself. What is oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you've got to think about it and get back to us. Okay, I will. <laughs> Creature with a hammer. That's what I'm committing to so far. Creature with oh, a like hammer. Like a little Thor, kind of? like a Not so much a Thor, but like a little creature who's, you know, ready to build or make something if she needs to. Oh. You might need a little tail that can hold a nail then. I would be yeah. happy with a prehensile tail. Have always Yeah, pre a prehensile tail would come in handy. Maybe some kind of like a little monkey then, perhaps. Or, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I was Googling mouse lemurs yesterday. That was rewarding. Lillian, what about you? What's your creature? Oh, man. I don't know. I feel like I go back and forth through a few different creatures. Like, I could see myself as some kind of a Shetland pony. Oh. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I like this. 
Yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure yet what my, like, what, what my raison d'etre as a <laughs> Shetland pony is, but I think I'd be, like, some kind of, like, a little Shetland pony that might, um, I feel like I honestly would be a Shetland pony would come and, like, let you know it's okay to drink a beer. <laughs> Oh, yes. I love that. Somehow I was and like maybe I would that. like maybe I would like <laughs> pop the lid on your beer with my big horse teeth. Like, and you would have you'd have a little bit of a saddlebag, not because anybody rides you, but because it's full of chips. Like yeah. the perfect chips to accompany the right beer. Yeah. You know? This is how I know you've known me for so long. <laughs> I every time I have a new chip, I'm like, should I? text Jillian about this? <laughs> you need to know about these back, backyard barbecue flavored chips from Trader Joe's. Probably. I'm really enjoying this backstory. <laughs> We've had so many chips together. Oh, all times. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So we got the, we got the tax kitty. Tax kitty. <laughs> tax kitty. I don't know. I think, I, I think you might have an abacus would be cute too. That could be cute. Yeah. But the, the upside to the adorable calculator is that I'm also a bit of a prankster, and sometimes I just show people the word boobies Boobs. or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Boobs <So>. of hell. <laughs> I thought you said I was getting 8,008 back, but no, it was the word boob. Boobs. Boobs. And then I laughed. 5,808. I got $5,808. <laughs> I'm just a trickster. <laughs> uh, joke's on you, it says boobs. I love the boobs joke on the calculator. Yes. Never gets old. No, Never. it doesn't. It really Never. doesn't. Yep. Mm -hmm. Before I start the wrapping up commencement, I want to solicit some fan art. So fans of Amanda's, fans of ours, send us fan art, please. I feel yes. like it's gonna be it's gonna be Susie. <laughs> it's gonna be like our one. Dude, we'll be lucky with Susie. <laughs> our one provider of fan art is the person that we pay to make us art. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, thank you so much. Should I say uh, domo arigato for yeah. being with us yeah. today? Yeah. That was so, it's been such a treat. Oh, it was so enjoyable. Anytime. Yeah, dude, oh. this is fascinating. I would love to have a part two with you one day. Of course. Okay. Awesome. Great. Great. Bye. Bye. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not all business, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So what about your, how's your little critter coming along, Brooke? Oh, I haven't really workshopped my critter anymore. I oh, think okay. in my head I have a raccoon, but the raccoon has sort of a prehensile tail, but I've got to think about it more. But I definitely want this to be an active sort of useful creature. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, mine's more, more of a overalls. creature. <laughs> I like this though, because your creature is giving gentle permission to people to do the self-care that they need. And- Yeah, or maybe it's an enabler. It's <laughs> after like the third beer it's an enabler but the first couple are pretty fine well maybe after the third beer uh you get you give us a, a very brief talk about you know <laughs> about the what? perils of alcoholism just like oh, not like not at length like we don't want to you know want to harsh anyone's mellow if you will nobody but, needs uh, to split. yeah yeah <laughs> well, yeah, it'd be like when uh, when Netflix comes on after your like seventh episode of something, and it's just like, "Hey there, are you sure?" I know you're binging, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I came up with a name for my character. Oh, okay, Al Capone. <laughs> somebody please draw these characters? <laughs> we need some fan art. Amanda, are you on Instagram? 
Oh, she's gone. Oh, she oh no, I, I'm here. Oh, wait. Yeah, uh, my uh, main account is uh, Crystal underscore Visions. The name of, uh, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking on Stevie Nicks' name? It's been too <laughs> long, too much poetry. That's uh, Stevie Nicks' seminal solo album. You can find me there and all the other stuff I work on. I'm gonna follow you right now. And then we are at Young Americans, J-U-N-G underscore Americans on- Oh, and then for, I mean, this isn't Amanda related, but are you, have you got any like hot drops coming up on the Patreon, Brooke, that you want to dangle in front of people to- You know, I think I'm going to do a little bit more reading this week, but I've been chill on the Patreon because it's been such a high anxiety time in the world. (laughs) So please come to the Patreon, support us. We could use your support. Uh, We are but creatures making a living in Los Angeles. Um, I will be blogging more there. Jillian has been reading. I've been reading. Yeah, I've been reading. Um, I've been reading The Way of the Shaman by Michael Harner, the 1986 Phantom New Age edition. So it's really just every day I'm doing a chapter of that. And it's kind of a, um, a DIY shamanism manual. So if you want to listen to someone and try to, um, do any of the practical activities that's, that's on there, that starts at the $5 a month here it's very enjoyable to have Jillian read a book to you I'm just telling you gentle listeners check that shit out I read Goblin Market on there about a week ago but I'll get back in I've been busily navigating what the coming school year is going to look like etc <laughs> I made a calendar today I just crossed off the, the names of all the days I mean does it make any difference right. anymore anyway no. I, I, bought so a, a I, I bought a planner in January, but I sure haven't opened it since then. Oh, me too. I, I was like, should I just throw it out now? No, like, time's is over. This, I mean, who is cares? This, is this an artifact of a previous life? <laughs> we definitely, I mean, Dustin and I can work ourselves into a bit of like what society can hold for us. We did that this morning for a while, and I was like, we have to stop. The trick did is you that file your taxes. Everyone knows the answer to this question. But yes, you can file your taxes. You can still yes. file your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, had, I had an idea when I was in the shower the other day that they should just, like, liquidate the budget of the United States and, like, pay reparations and yeah. give everyone stimulus, and then that's that. Okay, <laughs> they <yeah>. just, like, <laughs> they liquidate the budget. <laughs> Reparations are paid, and then like they dissolve the military, and then we just figure it out after that. We just I mean, I wouldn't mind that because I don't think things have been really going that well for a long, long time. And right. like, yeah, I don't think that though. we yeah, buy too much stuff enough. because we're unhappy, because we're stressed out, because totally. we can't get healthcare, we can't barely afford our rent, and in a strange way, it makes us desiring desirous of more stuff. I don't understand the psychology of it, but well, it desirous of like the lifestyle industrial compact. Yes. It's like there's this whole like sick thing where people are selling us these sort of gauzy, you know, naturally lit versions of shit that we think we need to work really hard to be able to touch. <laughs> Look at the big kitchen you could make disgusting if you worked really hard. Yes. <laughs> that kind yes. of thing. Look at yeah. how bad taste you could put on display. Oh, totally. Think of the hundreds of thousands of dollars you could spend on your wedding if you would just work harder. Ugh. Think yeah. of all the moon juice you can drink to oh, <laughs> Don't get me started. I'm getting like white out. knuckle over here. <laughs> I think I can say that on the show. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. gonna be bleeped out. <laughs> I like the idea of 
like listeners hearing, think of all the bleep bleep you could drink and then oh. having to wonder what that might be. <laughs> Especially coming from uh, the El Copone. El yeah, Copone. exactly. El <laughs> okay, El Copone right. and Amanda, I gotta go. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.